it's hot. Is it as hot in Richmond today, Evan, as it is in Louisville? Uh, yes, it's 91 degrees. So, I, and I, I bet it's hot where our guest is too. So, I, I walked out into the garage to get this beer to open for this thing, and it was sweltering. I'll take it over the snow, though. So, no oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. No complaints. We're actually back on kind of a good schedule at this point. We've done. We're barely two two weeks Ayo. past the last one with Tim Fairbanks. Like we're kind of drum corps in swing. I'm excited for that season to get started. Just seeing little clips on Instagram from yeah. spring training and everyone's moved in. It's going to be great. Uh, First we'll competitive be ta- DCI in three years was 2019. Uh, the last yeah, one 19. Was the last competitive oh. I'm I'm stoked, but we'll minute. get into all that over the next few months as footage comes out and we talk to guests about it, all that good stuff. But welcome everyone to the Age Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is Evan Wall. And before we get into today's guest, make sure you head over to LoneStarPercussion.com, use the discount code Aged Out, save yourself ten dollars on any order of fifty dollars or more. Take care of all that summer band camp uh, equipment you need to grab, replace stuff, all that good stuff. Everybody wins. Uh, if you're on podcast services, head over to YouTube, check out the other content we put out, reaction videos, clips from the podcast, all that good stuff. Uh, and then if you're on YouTube services, of course, feel free hit us up on Spotify. We're on all major podcast services and. I'm out of breath now, so I think I hit it all. I'll let you take it, Evan, and we'll get into this thing. Nailed it. So, yeah, joining us from, I believe, South Carolina, a gentleman who is highly regarded in the educational world, arranging, um, teaching, and also highly regarded in the WGI adjudicating world, uh, Mr. Omar Carmenades. Thanks for joining us, dude. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. You're in Greenville, South Carolina, right? That is right, right at the uh, corner where North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee meet. Is that very close to Asheville? Yeah, 45 minutes. Dude, I love Asheville. I love Asheville. The food. Uh, Sierra Nevada. Uh, oh, that, I was just bottling. about to say, yeah, that's my favorite place to go. <laughs> there you go. Strike up yeah. the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, man, tell us, a, tell us a little bit about, about yourself, kind of how you ended up in South Carolina and a few of the, the highlights along the way. Yeah, so uh, let's see. I'll go reverse order academically and then chronologically through my pageantry years. I think that just works easiest that way. Uh, I'm currently the director of percussion studies at Furman University here in Greenville. That's a private liberal arts university. Have a studio of uh, about 15 students, and uh, you know, do all the things with running a college percussion studio. Um, been here for I'm starting my 15th year next year, so been right. here a bit. Um, before that, I got my doctorate at, uh, in percussion performance at Florida State. Um, got another, my master's in performance at North Texas, undergrad in music ed at UCF. And uh, it's funny, I see here in the show notes, you, 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 know, you mentioned I went to university high school. I'm curious how you even know that. Um, uh, Facebook. But, oh, okay. It says it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to, you know, university high school in Orlando, which it's on University Avenue, which goes right into UCF. So I went, or I went to high school across the street from where I got my undergrad. Um, nice. And, and then uh, basically, pageantry wise, um, I started my first year of drum corps was 1997 uh, with the magic of Orlando. And the only, re- not the only reason, but the biggest reason I started there is because they had camps at my high school at university. <laughs> Um, so I was like, oh, I'll go try out for this thing called drum corps. I don't know what it is. Um, I got a quick education of what it was. <laughs> I didn't know drum corps toured. <laughs> I didn't know any of that. Um, so that was 97. I marched there in 97, 98, uh, took some, some years off in the middle there. Did you play? 90, uh, tenors. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was a tenor player. And then let's see, 99, it took off in 2000. I taught. A Division Three drum corps back in the days when it was called Division Three. Yeah, um, the Tampa Bay Thunder. Um, but I wasn't aged out yet, so I was uh, teaching before I aged out. And then oh um, one oh two, I marched Boston uh, on the quad line. Uh, took oh three off, and then from two thousand four to two thousand ten, I was with Boston teaching in various capacities, from tenor tech to caption head and arranger um, through there. Let's see, two thousand eleven to fourteen, I was with Spirit of Atlanta. Um, as a consultant at first, but then a front ensemble arranger and then a full percussion arranger. Um, spent a year with Phantom Regiment as a consultant, and then for three years I was with the Cadets as the front ensemble arranger. Um, bit what of years were those? Oh, 
Uh, on the spot or what shows were they maybe that'd be easier to remember oh, no it's 2017 and 19 so the the, okay. Bernstein, the Bernstein year the, yeah. the the zebra cake year and the, the <laughs> and the zebra and the bridge cake. yeah and the bridge the um the 2019 the last the last season we all had as you all mentioned the uh the bridges with the bridges yeah Mm-hmm. I love that they leaned into the zebra pants, zebra cake thing. They're just like, yeah, yeah we're just rock it. We'll go with yeah, it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't remember this one public, but zebra, uh, little Debbie sent us zebra cakes. Dude, that's uh, awesome. Finals week. That's incredible. Pretty, yeah, that's awesome. It, it was pretty funny. Um, I bet with the Bernstein arranging, that was quite, uh, I don't know, tedious because they're pretty particular <laughs> about their arrangements. Yeah, we had to go back and we had to send them completed like quote-unquote completed arrangements like in october wow um to approve of course they were they were sketches at that point um so we had to send that to get approved and yeah there was a lot of back and forth that year um with the estate and then not to mention that 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 just the mass is so long (laughs) you know just you know just sort of piecing through it to figure out what we're going to play it's pretty crazy too um but yeah so that's 2017 18 19 um, I am very happily uh, marching with the Couchman this summer. Uh, I'm going to be enjoying, <laughs> going to be enjoying a summer at home. Join the club. Uh, yeah, Dang. being the, my, this will be my first year in a very long time spectating, so I'm very excited for that. And I've been a WGI judge since 2013, I believe. Awesome. Yeah, it, the Couchman gig is really awesome. I, I always tell recent age outs like, there's probably a little bit of time when you first age out, you're like, man, I'm going to miss it so much, can't believe. But then when you just watch it, you're like. Yeah, I don't miss it that much. I like being on this side now. I'm good. Exactly. Yep, I'm good. <laughs> especially if you got a job during the year, and you know, especially if it's a job in education where you're just kind of grinding really hard for nine months. You kind of need that time, you know. I'm for the next wave of students. Yep. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I mentioned this prior to starting our recording, but I heard a small tidbit from a friend of mine who said that you either used to or still don't, uh, but like when you are writing in Sibelius or Finale or whatever your cup of tea is, they, they have the playback feature, but you don't ever use that. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's actually muted. I don't, uh, I don't listen. In fact, if, if I had my, like if I'm in a place where I can do this, which is most places, um, I actually write on paper first. Um, Dude, nice. Yeah, the, 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 and it's not anything that, anybody would understand what it is i write in hierog- like you know <laughs> hieroglyphs or whatever chord changes chord symbols I, I might draw just what looks like a scale with an up arrow going this scale needs to go up um or i might draw like a rudiment and say some of this um but yeah i think it's imp- for me i might i don't know i talk fast i move fast and like if i don't get my ideas down fast they go away that makes so, sense yeah, yeah so, so i just got to do whatever I can to get it down on paper as fast as I can. And then um, I go back um, and then put in the Sibelius, those sort of really fleshed out ideas. That makes sense. And too, of late Sibelius and Finale have really upped their sound audio files, but mm-hmm. they used to be just pretty hilariously awful. So I could see how listening to some of those would be like, this is not really giving me the representation. <laughs> well, and to that point, I started with Sibelius one. Um, oh yeah. Back, so. back in the nineties. So it was just like, it was so bad that I, you know, <laughs> it was like, I, you know what? I'm better off. I know what it sounds like in real life. So let me just, and that's how I just came up. So, you know, I'm on like the marching arts audio, like Facebook page and all that. And I, I, I laugh at like every, not laugh in a bad way, but I laugh at like everybody's writing setups, you know, like the candles and the lava lamps and the speakers everywhere. And like, <laughs> And me, it's literally like a pen and a pencil, a, a pencil and paper, and like my laptop if I'm lucky. Um, yeah, even even in high school, like our drum instructor still wrote by hand um, the whole score, so we would have to go in and make copies of it, but then just cut out the line mm-hmm. uh, of the staff <laughs> for the snare music, and then we would tape them to a regular eight by eleven, and then make photocopies of that, yeah. so that we at least had them all on one page instead yep. of twenty five. Dude, yeah, it's I, funny to hear you say that, Evan, because our we have kind of a connection between our high school instructors, and he, mine did, Todd did the same thing for us, and obviously Justin, and, and they all came Todd, from the, and they all came from the same thing, and the Morehead State. I get the pencil and paper thing. It's this is just when I was in grad school, and not not music related, but kind of along that same vein of that mental connection with your with your thoughts and everything, and putting them down. The act for me of physically doing it instead of like typing it or like whatever onto a screen 
I take hand notes still instead of having a notepad file open for work. I, mm-hmm. I'll. It's just there's something about that. So I, I understand. I get it. It makes sense to me. Yeah, and and to that point, you know, like the act of me drawing out whatever hieroglyph it is that I need to know what it is I need to do later. Um, it by the time I'm done with that, I already know how it's scored out. I already know in my head like yeah. all that. So like that, like you said, that creates a real physical connection with it. So that mm-hmm. when I go back. I'm not spending a whole lot of time like simultaneously composing and orchestrating, you know, like I want this line, but w- what instrument plays it? The murmurs of the yeah, vibes, yeah. Or the, you know, um, cause that's when I lose my, my ideas and I forgot what it was or whatever, you know? And then I'm sure too, once you hear it in real life application, it's a much better playback to hear it live to be like, well, I probably need to change that or adjust that. That's pro- that didn't quite flesh out the way I wanted it to in my head. Um, yeah, um, that's actually something I, I say a lot in my judges tapes, to be honest. Like, I, I'm sure this sounded good on your on your really well-tuned, finely-tuned, like, audio Yosebelius template, but really listen to that thing live, you know, and, and get that audio sound of, the, of perfect VDL out of your ear and make sure this, what you're listening to is what you want, you know? Right, this uh, five over seven you wrote between the battery and the front doesn't quite come across when it's not perfect. Um, right. <laughs> um, I guess that that'll kind of segue. You said you've been judging since 2013, correct? As a WGI judge, yes. As a okay, was, as a WGI judge. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you start locally in South yeah. Carolina before that? Um, I started locally. Oh God, where was my first show? That's a really good question. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was in Florida. Okay. Um, that's where I'm from. You know, in Orlando, and so I'm pretty sure my first judging gigs were in Florida. Um, and I got to give credit to Terry Sanders, actually, because he had me in a bunch before I was ever to the Gulf Coast circuit. Uh-huh. Um, he would bring me in a bunch to his circuit. And I think he's the one that sort of recommended me uh, to become like called up Chris Heston's like, hey, come check out this guy. Um, so, you know, public props to Terry, if that was you <laughs> for doing that. But, yeah, I definitely judged a bunch in Florida. I don't know if that's where I judged first, but I do feel like that's where I got my start. Need to get Chris on here sometime. I've only ever heard the most outstanding things about Chris Heston from people who were like at Glassman with him or Spirit or just mentored or anything like that. But yeah, awesome human being. Him and Caleb and Mark, you know, just heading up the the percussion side of WGI. Um, couldn't ask for better bosses. I heard he had a nickname too, maybe just by the members, but they used to call him Cheston because he was just so muscular. Still is. Still is. <laughs> you know? there it is. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I think I heard that from maybe it was either Dean or Chris Gary, which Chris Gary is a very muscular dude, dude. But. Yes, he is. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so you get into the judging. Did you feel like, because I've heard several of your tapes and they always stand out to me because they're so well connected, like the thoughts. Was that something you felt like you had to train for or? What was the initiation into WGI? Like, I have to figure out how to organize my thoughts as efficiently as possible and get this feedback out there. Um, you know, I think before I became a WGI judge, I got a lot of compliments on my ear. Like, oh, I'm, I just, I'm, you know, I'm so happy that you, like people would say to me in critique, I'm so happy you heard this. You could identify a diddle like five, like on the spot, you know, or a Lydian whatever, or whatever scale or motor chord, you know? And so I was like, oh, you know, I, Thank you. Uh, but that's our job, you know, but, but thank you. Um, what, when, when I became a WGI judge, what, um, you know, cause we get evaluated every once in a while. And um, I remember my initial commentary from, I think it was from Chris actually was um, talking about how to cater um, what I'm saying to make it class appropriate. So not to talk to an A-class group, like they're a world-class group or vice versa. Um, cause there, there are, there are, um, expectations and, and levels of commentary that we give to each class, like how, how we're expected to do that. And, um, so that was something that once I became a WGI judge was really helpful for me is that advice of like, here's how you talk to an A-class group. Here's how you talk to an open and a world-class group. Um, and, and not, not, not censor your commentary or tailor your commentary, but just how, what, what the words are that you say to help those groups become the best group they can in that season, you know? Right. Because I mean, the sheets even speak to that as well with the verbiage of like, sometimes always like 
what they classify like the boxes. So the boxes change and the verbiage change with the boxes. So it makes sense that maybe the verbiage or the feedback style would change for the classes too, just given on the the product that's there. And I, I mean, I, that's basically why WGI does the reclassification anyway. It's like, well, this isn't this, you wrote these certain things and designed the show that's on this level of box. So <laughs> I, I could see how that would be a learning curve for, for a lot of people, especially someone obviously have your doctorate. You've gone through all this, uh, college education where it's just very strenuous and you're getting so much nuance and detail, but then almost having to break that down and deconstruct it and regraph it into like how you give feedback that I could see that being a pretty big challenge for, for me just when I watch some of these reaction videos and I'm just sitting there analyzing the crap. Yeah. It's no, it's, it's like, it's basically what I think about is whatever, whichever group I'm judging, whatever class they're in. Um, how do I tailor what I'm saying? Or sorry, how do I tailor how I'm saying what I need to say for the students? Because I'm going to assume that the parents are going to hear this, that the students are going to hear this, and the instructors, not just the instructors. So how can I make sure? Heck, I, I wouldn't be surprised if administration hears it one day. You know what? Like, I, who knows? Um, it's a public document. So like, what? How can I make sure that what I'm saying is absolutely appropriate to help those students grow? And not only that, how do I do that in six minutes? You Ooh, know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the challenge. And, um, you know, thankfully, the, the, the biggest benefit of becoming a, judge, a WGI judge is scale. Um, I went from judging two or three shows a season to every weekend from January to April. And that kind of scale really helps you, like, really hone that in, you know. Um, you right. have a I lot mean, of you, you have a lot of at bats. This makes perfect. I mean, performing like I always tell groups that, or not tell groups that, but say that about groups. Like the way to get better at doing shows is to do shows. The way to get better at judging is to judge shows. So that makes yep. sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like every uh, aspect of the activity embodies that whole mentality. Whether you're I mean, a performer, falls, an instructor, a judge, like it's literally just that falls in right line with the practice. The, yeah, the 10,000 hours thing. Yeah, it just goes right in line with that. Yeah, and, and to your point, uh, 2019 was sort of like my craziest WGI season because that was the first year, and maybe we'll do it again, I don't know, the first time we went to four days at Dayton. Um, oh, right. The, season, the, the, the show started on Wednesday instead of Thursday. Um, right. And I got called in last minute. Um, a judge had a travel issue or something, whatever. I had to suddenly jump on independent A prelims. Um, and then do my prelim semis finals after that. And, uh, so, yeah, it was, yeah, I was pretty tired, <laughs> but, um, I, because of that, when Dayton was over on the plane home, I was like, I was curious. I just went back and I counted because I keep all my tote sheets for the season. Like I just went back and counted how many shows, how many performances I judged. And it was like 424 shows between January Jeez. and April. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, granted like 120 of them were at Dayton. So you know, whatever. Uh, this year was a little more, uh, it was more in like the 240s. So that was a little more normal. Um, but yeah, that year I just happened to be out like every weekend doing big shows with like 30, 40 groups and it just kind of built up. Um, so yeah, you get a lot of at-bats and you get a lot of chances to, you know, improve yourself, improve your craft as a judge. So that that's, um, I know it's weird. Like once I became a judge, I find a WGI judge. I finally got my training, but that's kind of what it felt like, you know. Speaking yeah. of a lot of at bats, using that analogy, you get a lot of at bats in one day, and you kind of alluded to it that 120 of those shows were just WGI finals week. Like when you're mm-hmm. judging 29 shows in a row, like if you're on prelims, that's mm-hmm. got to be like not. I don't want to use a negative term like a slog, but it's just it takes a lot of mental fortitude. Like you had to build your chops, I'm assuming, to be able to like go through that many shows, keep everything straight. You know, they break it up into two blocks, but at the same time, like it just, that's always blown my mind how judges that do prelims, I think they've got the tallest order of the week. Yeah. uh, The the hardest one, the absolute, like whenever our assignments come out, which is usually like midnight after SCPA is done, because they're always the last one. Mm -hmm. um, You know, when we get our assignments, uh, the, the shortest straw is independent world prelims. Um, and particularly this year, because what was the number? There were 29. 
pretty sure they were 29. So, yeah. yeah, and I drew I drew that straw. <laughs> um, and the trick is that an independent world is they're all great. You know, they're all yeah. playing a ton of stuff, and your lowest number might be an 81. <laughs> so you've got 29 numbers in 29 groups. Here we go. How do you how do you manage your spreads? How do you manage you know, especially when captions are flip flopping and you know, mm-hmm. like how how do you manage that and make sure that the right I, what was it this year like twenty one like the right twenty one groups advance in your caption? Um, yeah, I think it's the top twenty go to semifinals. Twenty um, and then fifteen on finals, yeah, yeah. Yep. and then fifteen. Yep. So yeah, really like those twenty kind of get a second shot, second and third. Well, yeah, really a second and third shot if you make finals, mm-hmm. but the pressure to get at least for sure the top 20 right because nine people are going home. So. Right. Well, the, the, and the hardest part about that is prelims, it's unseated. Right. Yes, exactly. So the, the first group could win. Um, so On that note, yeah. are there ways – I know that they do allow for judges to like go back and change scores. Is it up to a certain amount of groups prior uh, like four or five or something like that to like get your bearing on the contest. Like, all right, I've seen five groups. I kind of have a little bit better of an understanding now where I need to put my spreads and where I need to put my scores to help you guys get it right. So back in the day where we wrote our sheets on paper, our numbers on paper, we did not get our numbers back at all. So you just number what it was. Someone, a runner came and picked it up and sent it right. Um, in the early days of going digital, which is right around the time I really started getting into it. Um, People asked you to like, you know, we had to do, I remember having to like sign a sheet and do the digital thing. Like when it was on a Google sheet, you know, now with competition suite, we can change our numbers from the first group till like 10 minutes after the last group. So okay. we're, I am always adjusting. Um, I mean, I think that makes the most sense because the ultimate goal is to get the order right yep. and the spreads as close as you can. Yes. Um, the more like IW is the hardest because... Like I said, everybody is an 80 or above, pr- probably, right? I mean, or close. So, like, if if you felt like one group was four-tenths better than another, you kind of don't have those four-tenths, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, you so can how, really how, pigeonhole yourself pretty easily. Yeah, so how do you show not only – how do you show what order the group's in and what order the groups are in in your subcaptions, but also tell the story of – how far apart one group is from another accurately. How do you do that with 29 groups on the last day, the last couple days of the season? That's the hardest thing. Early on in the season, it's a little easier because you, you got some more leeway. Shows might be, you know, one group may come in with like four minutes of music, another may come in with two. Um, you know, there's, there's a little leeway there, but when everyone's like firing on all cylinders, it's really a challenge. And do you have a setup that works well for you in that regard? Like, I know you mentioned you think really fast and you do your scores like on paper to just like kind of make notes. Do you have a similar setup when you're judging, like where you write down notes about a group so that way you could like go back and remember like, like, Oh, I saw group X, their show was this, 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 and it kind of like refreshes the brain or what's that like? Yeah. So I do, I I'm again, I'm not one. I know there are judges that, that love that absolutely like, abide by and, and, and depend on like the multi-screen system like a laptop and an ipad and a thing and whatever um i, I just don't like traveling with that much stuff um you know week week after week after week um but for me it's like it i just like it all in one place so i have my ipad i have competition suite open um with my numbers i have my recap sheet that i use it's caleb's you've probably seen it you know his tote sheet that like um it's, it's an awesome excel spreadsheet that I use and a lot of us use. That's Kale Brophy. Sorry. Yeah. Didn't mean to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have that up to like play around with numbers and like see what, how, you know, before I put into competition suite. Um, that's basically like my recap, right? I'm putting in there. Um, that's where I go first. Like by the time, like as, as the minute a group finishes and I give my, re- my, my rap, I hit stop, I put the number down first because by using the last minute or two, I'm trying to drill down to where they're going to be. So I'll put a number down. Then I'll flip over. I usually have notes, the notes app open. Um, I'll type in my number there just in case it comes up in critique. And then I'll type in one or two keywords so I remember them, like black uniforms played Michael Jackson. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I'll type in one or two keywords and then three things I want to tell them in critique. 
And I'm trying to do that in the two minutes I have between groups <laughs> before the next one rolls on. Yeah. Under the um, gun. Yeah, that's the trickiest part is making sure that I can do all that and start the next tape up and not leave not not have the next group suffer because I was taking too long. Um, before that, because like you know, they always say judges, are you ready? They don't really say that anymore, but in some circuits they do. They don't really mean that. <laughs> it's become ready more or of not. A, yeah, it's become more, of a, it's become more of a formality, or like if something really went wrong, you can raise your hand and say no, hold on. But most of the time, it's like we're going. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> this is your warning. So yeah, this is your warning. So um, yeah, so that it's really simple for me. Just iPad, and I just flip between apps that I need to. Yeah, why, yeah, don't overcomplicate it. Just mm -hmm. wait, what am I doing here? Um, yeah, that always recap. Uh, I've done some local judging, which pales in comparison to the WGI and just like that circuit. And especially in the marching band world, there's a lot more time than the like, what is it, 11 or 12 minute segment? Yeah, um, whatever it is. I don't, I don't even, I, I'm too busy to count, but yeah. Because <laughs> generally in like marching band, especially in high school, the shows are shorter and then you have 15 minutes. So there's a much longer window with them getting set up and then getting off the field through the WGI thing where you have 12 minutes or 11 minutes and basically every group's trying to use to the last second with their mm -hmm. props in this. That would get, whew. I'm sure it seems like a long day, but also at the end of it, you're probably like, Man, I just I like almost blacked out and came out on the other end like a like a Will Ferrell in old school or something where he's battling the raging Cajun dude. Like, no, yeah, just it, happened. It, it, I've judged one show, a high school band show with seven bands at it. The the school that I taught at that season was hosting a show, and from that one experience, it gave me a massive appreciation because I kind of had that blackout moment throughout like the seven band block, and I was like, but I have no judging chops, like nothing. I was just like, how do these guys do this? These guys and girls take care of all this and keep it all straight and i was flustered and rushed trying to get it all figured out and i i mean it was it was a fun experience i'm, I'm a, i would be open to doing it again i mean i know mike lightsky has been bugging evan and i multiple times <laughs> <laughs> i think mike basically wants us to put our money where our mouth is he's like are you guys gonna come judge or not <laughs> yeah pretty yeah. much pretty much but yeah i i got a whole new appreciation from the one judging experience that i've had so far so yeah and it is pretty wild, and it does go by very fast. Um, it all catches up at the end of the day, particularly long days. Yep. Um, you know, this year, just because it's in recent memory, I did SCPA finals, which is the weekend before Dayton. And so by the time I hit – and my first show at Dayton was Independent World Prelims. So I was kind of like not even recovered from SCPA finals yet and had to go in and do these 29 independent world groups and be on my game because these are – you know, it's independent world. You want to make sure – you're representing the highest class in WGI and you're doing your job. Um, I guess on a pop, sorry, I didn't mean to finish. No, that. it was just, it was just, it was, it was uh, a lot of the joke at independent world was like, Omar, how many Mountain Dews are you going to drink? <laughs> <laughs> because I think that show started at like 6 PM. Like we got done at like 11. So it was just like a lot of caffeine to keep going. Yeah. But I guess to SCPA finals did give you a little bit of prep because you had already seen some of those groups so you at least kind of had some backstory to feel things around um and not only just like for those groups that surely improved in a week but you'd seen them but then it also kind of gives you a little bit of a, a barometer like well i saw these like seven or eight groups i think there's like eight pi groups in california right now which is insane mm -hmm. but um does that sort of thing help you? Would you rather see everybody on a first read or at least have seen some people before to have some some bearing? Oh, man. So I love first reads. Um, I'll just go out and say it. I mean, I love first reads. If I could do only first reads, that's great. Especially, well, it kind of depends on the point of the season. Um, if first reads are where I feel I can give the most feedback to help the ensemble move forward through the rest of the season. Um Third reads, it's kind of like, okay, you know, especially if, it's, if the show's been done for all three reads for whatever reason. Um, third reads are kind of like, okay, I'm here I'm going to be trying to find new stuff. Um, so, no, I, I really try my best to react to everything as it's a first read because it is, you know, even to your point with SCPA finals, that was in a hockey arena. And then the next time I saw the independent world groups was at UD. Right. That's a different. That's a different venue. Different. That yeah. yeah, sound bounces around different. There's a different amount of people in the stands. The energy in the room's different. 
um, things change. And so the last thing I want to do is be beholden to whatever I did on my read prior or feel like I have to be, you know, that's, that's cool. It almost seems to a little, a first read would be a little bit more fair to all parties involved because I know when you go into a normal WGI weekend where it's just a regional, you if it's a prelims finals, well, I think most of them are prelims finals, but mm-hmm. um, you have critique in between where groups get obviously an opportunity to hear your feedback, but then almost vie for their show. Like, well, we really want you to try to catch this mm-hmm. or this and this, which is good because it does give you as a judge, I would say better opportunity to take in what they're presenting but at the same time, when you're at that prelims day in WGI, you don't get a chance to tell the judge what you want them to see. So the ultimate goal is to put all the parts and pieces and design in the right place for that first read to be exactly what you want it because you don't get a second one for nine groups. Yeah, I think, you know, to any designers in the in the listening, like that is that should be the key. That there there is enough in your show to uh get an audience member, not even a judge, an audience member um, to give them enough if they were really going to see you once, because most will. Um, if your show requires two or three reads before we can be like, oh, I get it, be careful, because a, a, you know who you have on independent world, in my case, in independent world prelims on Thursday, that, that is the one time I see them. You know, Many, many of those independent world groups, that's the only day I saw them. Um, and I, got, I had to make a call on their advancement or not, you know, based on that one read. Um, now, should there, can there be things on a second read that you see? Sure. Maybe I, you know, I only have two eyes and two ears. I can only catch so much at one time and I can only talk so fast. So like, how do I hear something and acknowledge when, especially in the independent world, there is so much going on all the time, you know? And and so it's like, sometimes a second and third read does help, but you want to make sure there's enough in there to, to, to basically get your show on the first read, you know, that, that's why I, I like them. If, you know, I don't think it's an advantage, but at least for me on second reads and third reads, I try to remember what I did on the first read and look somewhere else. Okay. Each moment in the show. Like, Oh, I remember I, I comment. I talked a lot about this snare break. Let me see what's going on underneath the hood there, like in the electronics or in the, in the front ensemble, just to send my commentary somewhere else, you know, um, to give the ensemble a little more to, to chew on. In, so you just said, obviously, in most indoor shows, especially like Independent World, there's a lot going on all the time, and you're trying to give this feedback. I have always found in your tapes, at least the few that I've heard, that you do a really good job of talking, but when well, something's happening that clearly the designer wants you to listen to, you'll stop, and you'll like listen to that, but then go back to what you were saying, and then like tack on the end like what you just heard, like, oh, the... I stopped talking for the snare break, but that thing that I was talking about before, this, 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 also good job <laughs> on the snare break. Is that like a skill you have felt like you had to develop, like letting yourself be interrupted by what the designers want you to listen to while still trying to give all the feedback? I, I think the advantage of being a music judge is we're sitting in the audience. So if I can feel everybody around me like leaning in to listen to something, I generally know that's my cue to stop talking. Um, so I, that's usually how I know is like, I just feel the energy around me and it's like, Oh, something important's going on here, <laughs> you know? Um, and sometimes that's something quiet or sometimes it's a section break, like you mentioned, like a snare break. Um, or sometimes like, you know, it's something really complicated that I have to make sure I can sit there and go, okay, what am I hearing? <laughs> you know? And then, yeah, hopefully I get back to whatever it was I was saying, finish that, then talk about the next thing that doesn't happen all the time. I guess you got lucky in hearing my good tapes. But <laughs> um, sometimes I forget what I was saying and I have to just keep moving on, you know. Um, we're human. It happens. Um, yeah, but, that doesn't, that do, but that doesn't mean, I'll say this for anyone listening, that doesn't mean we didn't hear. If I'm talking and, and sound is happening, I hear what's going on. Even if my words don't get to that thing, I'm still evaluating it, you know. So, um, you know, I've, I've heard some people say to me, like, man, you talk so much. Are you sure you're hearing everything? You know, like, yes, I'm hearing everything. I promise um, we're still evaluating even when we're talking. Even if my commentary doesn't mention something, it's like, yeah, we're still hearing it. It's okay. Walking and chewing gum, you know? Yeah, I think that you you nailed it. When I listen to your tapes, I can tell, like people have said, oh, you have a good ear. I feel like that's a very accurate statement just because 
uh, the tape I just listened to, you were, it was a snare feature, but there was this like layering of like the hi-hat over top of it and it like layered in. You're like, oh yeah, it really works with the hi-hat texture on the rim of the snare drum there. And I was just like, honestly, I've watched that snare lick myself like three or four times and never even paid attention to the hi-hat uh, drum set. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, okay, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. W- so, uh, can I ask which one that was? Just that was the Atlanta Quest uh, prelims tape. They have the, in the opening snare break, that little like kind of uh rim knock thing which i oh, said yeah. that, I, that i didn't like on mm-hmm. this before uh and tj's like i really like that part and then uh <laughs> but i never noticed it of course i saw probably a video of them planted in the lot without the pit uh so the context was missing but you were just like oh it works really well with the hi-hat layer. i was like yeah of course it does <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and that one if i remember that snare break is like right in your face because they were not where because the pit's on the side that pit was on side one and so yeah it's like open space in the front of the floor uh yeah mm-hmm. so it's like yeah. here here it is which yeah that was that was right in my face. left to right timing wise but and uh, i did have uh to your point earlier that that was a third read for me okay independent oh. world prelims so i saw them at the orlando regional so i saw them prelims finals there and then i saw them but that was like second week of march first week of march late february maybe um, ah, that's almost that's almost like yeah that's a, that's yeah <laughs> right but but i i think i knew that snare break was there so yeah. i think when i when i got to it i could i felt comfortable putting my ear somewhere else um okay. because i had seen it you know make sure it's clean cool what else is going on now because i've heard this twice you know hey that um, makes sense force yeah. yourself to get into a different direction um <laughs> Mike and I have that difficulty just because we are so deeply rooted in just mostly our rudimental background and we didn't study percussion in college. Um, I did do a little bit in college, but just the level of nuance and understanding is, isn't that strong in the front ensemble world. So people look, you guys go give more love to the front. I'm like, I will, but be careful what you wish for because it's going to be pretty like caveman esque comments. You might hear us say some pretty dumb stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and to, to your point, like I haven't designed an indoor drumline show that's gone to Dayton because we're not allowed to, but I haven't done that since I've started judging. So it's going on 10 years. Um, The cool thing about judging is that is my ear training. So that Mm -hmm. uh, when I hear something new, like when lasers became a thing, for baselines. Right. I didn't know that was the word for those. Yeah. You know, uh, but I heard 15 of them one day and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, it was like, okay, I got to figure out what this is because clearly everyone's doing it. Um, so even things I didn't have the vocabulary for, um, I, I, I'm able to learn and keep up even if I'm not writing all the time because I just hear so much of it. I, I almost did so much of the same thing and I didn't want that to sound like a bad thing. But right. You know, you hear a lot of bass lines and you hear a lot of snare lines and a lot of front ensembles as a judge when you're doing this full time. And so if there's anything I'm uncomfortable with, I actually get better at the terminology through it the more tapes I do and the more I like just take the risk of just diving in and trying to use my, you know, as you said, my caveman language <laughs> to talk <laughs> about it, you know. Um, and honestly, like for me, there's no harm. Uh, in, and I, I don't mean this on patronizing at all. There's no harm in professional development. Like, yeah, uh, no one's perfect. Yeah, my um, my best education in marching arts I've had in the past maybe eight years, ten years, was getting to hang out with Jack Borland and Chelsea Levine at Spirit of Atlanta, trying to learn how to write for symbols. I'm like, okay, I have the best two simple texts in the business right now, and I know nothing about writing for symbols. Please teach me, you know. <laughs> And they taught me and they helped me and they helped me understand the world of symbols. And I learned so much and learned to appreciate the symbol lines so much because of those two, you know? And then I went to Chelsea's clinic at PASIC because I got to learn more, you know? Um, This was like 2016 or 17. And so it's like, it really helps for me just to have so much exposure all the time. You know, I get the best seat in the house for eight hours every Saturday from January to April. (laughs) Just, you know, you're, and you're going to get better by default just from yeah. immersion constant. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yep. It's like being tossed in a, in, in a country with, you don't know how to speak the language, <laughs> you know, you, because you're immersed in it, you kind of figure it out. Yep. And that makes sense too, about not being afraid to just call out things because the designers and the performers and the techs and the educators, they're going to understand, they're going to be able to bridge the gap. If you're like, Oh, that watch out for that, like violet roll there. Um, and they can hear it on the tape. Then they're like, well, it's actually like a four over three, but yeah, we understand what you're talking about. Like, okay. It's like, it goes by so fast. 
I think calling it out like that you understand it like I know that that's an odd meter thing like watch out for that there's nothing wrong with being wrong because there's been plenty of times when I'm teaching and stand in front of a, a drum line where I call out a kid I'm like hey you're overbalanced there and then I listen to it again I'm like actually it wasn't you it was you it's like so yeah so it's like right. <laughs> okay like I got it wrong but all right you guys understand but, you, but you know something was wrong right yeah, yeah. That, that's why I try. I, unless it's blatantly obvious, I try not to say like two in from the right on the snare line. You tick this, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just this piece of vocabulary. Something sounded funny because number one, I'm too far back. But number two, um, like I don't want that kid to feel bad. <laughs> you know, that performer to feel bad. And then number three, um, it's also like it might not have been that person. You know, it might have been. It, it's all coming at me in real time. I, I don't want to get that wrong. Yeah, then everybody on the on the bus is looking at the one in from the right, like, do we know it was you, Jackson? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've, been, I've been that. I've, I've been that person. So yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be that. I don't uh, want to inflict that on someone else. I've definitely been that person and been someone looking at that person on a drum corps tape when they were out in the field and they were like, all right, all right, three in on the right there. Like, and we're just like, and you're with those people every day and you're drumming with them. So like, you kind of know each other's t- tendencies. So we're like, mm-hmm. don't we know that was you? Like, yep, yeah. <laughs> Yep, exactly. I mean, um, I was a battery kid growing up. You know, to your to your point about weaknesses, like my, I was a battery kid growing up. Um, I I never marched in a front ensemble. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. Somehow lately, I've become the front ensemble person. You know, in in my in my pageantry career. You know, like in my DCI work and everything else. Um, so yeah, there's always room for development and for growing and changing. You know, uh, who you are. I'm so, sure through your years of. Uh... UCF, UNT, and FSU, you had some rigorous and good time in the practice room <laughs> doing mallets through your degree. Yeah, sure, sure. But that, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but, but writing for front ensemble and, and pageantry is a very different thing. That's a different beast. Um, yeah, yeah I, re- I recently watched like a front ensemble head cam. I try to watch those, and I think I've said this on somebody's episode, like watching those because it, it forces me to just recognize things that are going on. And writing front ensemble for marching percussions is like mind-blowing to me just the amount of <laughs> instruments that they have to choose from the amount of implements that they have to choose from to hit those instruments so many variables accessories the drum set the rack the synthesizer i'm just like yeah y'all can keep that yep. so many out. variables so many <laughs> options I, I almost feel like you you suffer from like uh analysis paralysis or the paradox of choice like there's so many sounds i could use here so many different implementations of this that or the other and it's crazy. It's it's super impressive because I can't do it. I don't I don't well, have that background. Well, you can say that too with you know the most talented groups in any class. If you judge, you know, if you're if you're yeah. judging a class, you know, like you've got the cream of the crop talent. You've almost you can write anything you want. There's That's a danger true. in that. There's a danger in that. That's and true. I've I've seen those shows. I've judged those shows, and I've told those groups. You know, like you've got horses, man, but like. Every minute, I need to every thirty seconds, every phrase, whatever. I need to be. I need to feel what you're trying to tell me. And if you're painting with all the colors at the same time, you get black. I don't get yellow. I don't get red. I don't get blue. You know. So be careful what you. <laughs> you know. Like, right. Like I love judging and I love writing for open class. Like that's one of my like because they're they're talented groups but not so talented that you can just stop the show for 45 seconds for a snare break. Like the yeah. snare break has to, the snare break has to mean something <laughs> to the show, you know, um, yeah, right, right. Or, or whatever. Like everything has to tie into the show. The show concepts are generally like deep, but they don't just stop so they can get into things that, and I don't mean this as a knock on any world group, but they don't stop the show <laughs> to do the world things that world groups feel like they have to do. Um, they're always in storytelling mode and open and, uh, and, and a particular, you know, but particularly in open, um, it's it's a really fun class to judge. And I think that that point too, where you're talking about paint with all the colors, I mean, that's what makes loud volume is effective when it's surrounded by quiet or softness mm-hmm. or tacit and speed is effective when it's surrounded by space. Like that dichotomy and juxtaposition is what makes it more effective. I mean, I always teach my kids this when I'm, teaching private lessons and we're learning how to play accent taps like yeah you can play 16th notes but if you just play it's gonna get pretty boring pretty fast but learning how to develop contrast between your heights like it makes it 100 times more interesting and the possibilities are endless 
So. Right, and 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 blow that out for a second to a judge's perspective, where you're judging. I guess we'll go back to it. Twenty nine independent world groups, who are all playing well. What are the things that stick out? Well, generally the groups that are a little more musical. You know, maybe don't play the most. I don't know. You know, the comp number doesn't mean who plays the most. It means whose composition stands out. Yeah. You know, um, variety is on the sheet. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Like I, 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 that is a a myth I dispel a lot in critique is like, well, we played more. It's like, well, that (laughs) it's not, it's not how much you play. It's how you use it. You know, Um, there's a lot of words in that comp box and, and most of them don't relate to quantity. Right. You know, it's it's or a variety difficulty. I figured out recently. They don't relate to difficulty either (laughs) or difficulty. Right. But I mean, like, honestly, when I'm, um, giving that, you know, when I'm evaluating that comp box, it's very rarely about how hard something is more like how impressive was that thing, which difficulty may be a part of it, but how does that relate to the broader tapestry of the show? Right. Um, so it's, yeah, it's not always, um, and it rarely is, I would even say, and I, I, I maybe, I, maybe I won't, I'll point this at the world groups, but like it is rarely how much you're doing that makes you stick out. Yeah. Makes sense. So in your mind too, and I wish I would have asked Tim a little bit about this too on our most recent podcast, but you are also equally as involved since you put this into action. When you're looking at the comp box versus the performance box, I know I've heard some people say, should it be looked at like there's a direct line or like there's no line or like there's a dash that connects them. What I guess would be the training or the instruction for you guys when you're separating the comp- composition box from the performance box? Uh, see, I've, I've, see, th- this is the trick, right? Is as every music judge is going to put different things in those boxes, right? So if I heard a, just to be basic, if I heard a snare break tick, if there was a mistake, right? Um, is that on the performers or is that on the composition of that snare break? And it was it too hard for the performers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, this is just one small example of like the bazillion things we take into account in each box. Um, you know, if if this is a symptom that's occurring a lot in a particular show, I might say something's really misaligned in the composition box from the if, between the composition and the performers, and I'll try to show that in my number. Okay, I hope that makes sense in a way. Yeah, that makes sense. Like um, if if a group's coming out and they're trying to play fours on each hand at 220 and they can't do it it's like well no wonder they can't do it they just most not people only that, couldn't not, do this so this not is only not that, and not only that are there 30 other instances in the in the six minutes of music or seven where that also happens where it's severe enough that i have to show it in my number you know like look i'm hearing this first it, it's severe enough i need to show this in my number like it's 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 symptomatic in all the subsections it's symptomatic everywhere the, the composition and the performers are not aligned one way or the other, whichever way it may be. Yeah. I got to show that in my number because it's reflective. You know, my numbers tell a story, our numbers as judges, not just mine, you know, um, they tell a story to that group of how their composition relates to their performance. It tells a story of the spread there. It tells a story of how far or near they are to the next group. And it tells a broader story of like how all the groups relate, even though the, in, in relation to their ranking, I guess, you know, Right. Um, and I'm trying to get all that shown in all the numbers and how they relate between all the groups. Good luck. You know, I, was, <laughs> um, I think that brings up another two, point too. And I get in a bad habit of this when I'm watching. We do these reaction videos, and actually, somebody just commented recently. I was like, "This sounds more like a judge's tape than a reaction video." And I, <laughs> I replied, "I I do my best to reply to most of the comments on YouTube that I can." Um, and I basically told him, I was like, sorry, dude, this is basically how I react when I watch music ensembles. <laughs> like my brain is what watching video was that on? I must've missed that. Uh, it was on the infinity video. Oh, okay. But it's like, basically this is how I react. Like I don't hoop and holler and yell. I, I give praise when they play really well, but I'm basically just critiquing and analyzing in my brain and that's how I react to groups. Yep. Um, but we do get in a habit of like, oh, this wasn't that great. Or this, there was a tick here, a tick there, but the activity is not a tick activity Mm -hmm. 
per se it's a it's a credit activity like judges are not to put words in your mouth but i would say inclined and instructed to give credit for things more than they are to take away from things was that mm-hmm. a fair assessment yeah mm-hmm. yep um yeah i mean i don't think it's i mean philosophically i guess you start with zero and you have to earn your way up you know um but the the thing i love about the wgi system is the tiered system right you have boxes for where your numbers go and there are definitions for what those boxes mean there are classes on the uh, it, looking at it like sort of vertically there's a basic class a class there's an intermediate class open and there's an advanced class world class that you can filter those box numbers through right so it's it's not completely like taking away it's not completely building up but it is like as judges how how do we say that we're how do we show that we're along this ride with you for six minutes you know you i say this a lot and i've probably said on some other podcasts but like every tape i give you know you all work on these shows for six months the least i can do is be with you for six minutes right so like it's really important that everything that we give you between our numbers and our commentary helps you to the next step whether it's Early, whether it's your first show out or the last show of the year, you know, and you got to think about what you're going to do next year. Um, so that's where that's where I I think all of us as judges are coming from, you know. Um, we're trying to reward. We're trying to give commentary. Um, and I don't know if this is like explicit in what they tell teachers and performers. You can look it up in the judges manual, but like each class, and I, this is, goes back to earlier in our discussion. Um, it's our job to talk to each class in a certain way. So like a, like the, you might've heard these words, teacher, counselor, critic, right? So in a class, our commentary should be guided towards teaching the groups what they need to do. Like, Oh, I heard this, this wasn't quite right. Or this, this, why don't you try this to fix that? You know, in open class, we're we're approaching our commentary more as a counselor. And then a world class, we're approaching our commentary more as a critic. So, um, because those groups have probably been there a couple times before, they're older, they're more experienced, they don't need us to tell them what to do, but they definitely need us to critique what we're hearing, to give criticism of what we're hearing. So, you know, it's, it's a really well thought out system, the WGI system. And I, I, I've modeled my grading system in my studio around it, <laughs> you know? Nice. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's really good at, if, if you know what the numbers mean, if you know what the boxes are, and if you know the system, it's really good at giving each ensemble the, the next thing they need you know when when we're doing when when all of us as judges are like firing on all cylinders and doing our job and that makes sense too uh i just had that quote that popped up in my head though it's not the critic that counts um but <laughs> that makes sense too because and this is not an insult on any designer educator anywhere but really you just want to give the best feedback for a group say it's a class and a group came out and they just started an indoor percussion program, first or second year, pretty fresh as designers, as educators, as performers. So you want to like guide them on all accounts as a performer, a teacher, designers, like, well, these are the things we're looking for, but we want to let you know what we're looking for ultimately to help you design the show better, to teach the show better, to perform the show better. So it would, that makes sense to me that you're, it's never like, a look down upon or insult, I guess. I don't, I don't no. want it to come across that way, but it's just like, it's better to say it than assume somebody knows it sort of thing. Right. Yep. And, and, you know, if there's anyone listening that, that I've ever accidentally insulted, I'm sorry. I've never, I've never tried to like put a comment on a tape that I wouldn't say to my own students, <laughs> you know, or that I wouldn't even say to my own kids, you know? Um, I think that's, it's, it's really important to remember that our tapes and our numbers are, are, well, our numbers mostly are public documents, <laughs> right? Everyone sees them, and we have to be accountable to them. Um, the tapes, you know, they get shared with the ensemble, and, uh, you know, they get shared on YouTube, I guess, here and there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, they're, but people will hear them, and we need to be um, accountable to what we say, right? So I just I want to make sure that all those things are in alignment, the numbers how they interact with all the other numbers on the sheet and how those numbers relate to my commentary. Totally. I mean, we recently experienced that in a pretty small scale. Uh, when we did our WGI predictions, 
but there were some people that were I don't want to say insulted, but they were just kind of salty. Like, oh, you put so and so, you put us here. Like the kids in the groups, like you put us here. I'm like, look, man, I'm not, I'm not we're trying. trying to I'm just, somebody's <laughs> got somebody's gonna finish in 29th. That's just exactly. the way. Exactly. Somebody's gonna finish somewhere. Uh, I'll probably be wrong, like my March Madness bracket, and get completely busted. But I'm just throwing it out there. You can you can make your own predictions and send them to me. We're trying right. to be as objective as possible when we do that. And and in that vein, I guess I can take this opportunity to just bring up like judging across the board within an individual class because obviously like we've all heard the joke of like oh the judge must have been out of position for that because we hear the tape and the role sounded bad and he didn't call it or whatever like when you're judging across the spectrum of say independent world for example when you first started because we were talking about professional development earlier and bias is a part of just being a human subconscious Mm -hmm. conscious whatever was it a conscious effort for a while and it might still be at this point in your career to like because I would assume the goal is to evaluate every group within a class on the same playing field and and just approach it identically from group to group to group. Was that something that you had to like consciously focus on early to overcome any bias you may have had or not had towards any groups, whether it was groups in the top five, the bottom of the pack, the middle of the pack? Is that something you're consciously trying to police yourself on is like, I have to evaluate all of this the same way regardless of what placement I'm at or what the history of the group is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think I, you know, obviously you said, like you said, well, we, we all have bias and we're all human. Um, I, the, the good thing about the WGI judge community, the great thing about it is that we are absolutely empowered from the top to make the calls we need to make there. It, n- yeah. n- we don't get questioned on numbers unless there's something like blatantly, like, you know, you have 18 ties you know, like, <laughs> like you're, you're generally not going to get questioned. Your, your integrity as a judge isn't going to get questioned uh-huh. from the up and ups. And so there's this great environment amongst all of us where uh, we are all empowered to make the call we need to make. And that is the impression. And, and the, here's the thing to understand is that the, the, the number is an impression. It's not a quantif- it's not a quantif- no, It's not an objective number. It's a subjective number. Because it's an impression. So to your point, like this one fuzzy roll, chances are that one fuzzy roll doesn't really make a whole difference in your number because it's a, it's a larger impression, you know, like, Oh, if we just gotten that roll, we'd gotten one tenth higher. We would have made finals. It probably wouldn't have made a difference. Right. But the, but if you have a symptom of fuzzy rolls in the seven minutes of your show, yes, that's a problem. The overarching issue. (laughs) For sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, the, the number is an impression and it is an imp- impression that we put into a number through a system that's given to us, i.e. The, the sheet. So for me, I just look at it as doing my job, you know, like I don't care if it's music city mystique or a class first time at Dayton dr- group. I'm going to, I'm going to adjudicate you just as my magnifying glass doesn't get smaller or bigger just because of the name of the group, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I got to give credit to the WGI culture, amongst the judges because we, we are absolutely empowered to make that call. You know, look at, look, I mean, I, I judged, you know, my panel mate this year at Dayton was Scott Johnson. You know, um, we, we lined up on some things. We didn't line up on some things. You know, he saw things differently than I did. And on some cases, I'm sure, I, don't, I can't think of any, but I'm sure we were widely different <laughs> on some things. But that's the system. Yeah. You know, um, that's the system. And we're just doing the best we can as individual judges in that system. Um, you know, I've given some wild numbers before. You know, and I remember putting these numbers down and I've given some wild numbers to some groups that maybe aren't used to getting wild numbers, um, but it's just the way I hear it, you know, um, and I can explain why in critique and they, the groups have generally been understanding of why that number came about and they use it and move on to whatever they need to do next. You know, um, I think that's, that's the ecosystem. And if I'm not doing my job, then I'm not, if I'm filtering that through, oh my God, that's mystique or that's pulse or that's you know the four-time reigning a-class champion you know um i'm not doing them a service if i'm filtering my numbers through that lens sure i I think that's great to hear like the empowerment that comes from the top and just the support so that you guys feel the most comfortable you possibly can with i know the phrase people say is like the show of the night well like what do you have for me like i'm here today 
I can't assume that you meant to do this or assume that you meant to do that. Like, how does it come across right now? And how does it impact me? And how does the show read today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really is what you would want to hear. And you'd want to see those people with the ordinals that are like, oh, well, comp here, performance here. It's not, it's not just like two, 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 three, 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 three. It's like mm-hmm. that would to me be a pretty big issue in the circuit. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it is. And honestly, if you want to talk about bias, the hardest thing is actually in a seated show to overcome that the first group scored lower than the last group. You know, they may be seated in order. Right. If, if, there's, if it's if it's independent world finals, the 15th group came in 15th the night before. Right. But the thing we're always reminded of and the thing we always talk about before we walk on the judge is that they're, they're seated, but that not necessary in your caption. Right. You know, so you have to you have to call it the way you see it, um, because it's still in a lot of ways in your caption, perhaps an unseated show. So it is it is kind of hard to overcome that bias of the fifteenth group is fifteenth and the last group is first. Before you guys judge, do you know when you're going into it if if a group received a penalty the day before? You mean like at Dayton or just anywhere ever? Just. Well, I would say Dayton or in general, but mostly Dayton. Like, if you were coming on to, if somebody was coming on to judge semis, and they would they know, like, oh, this group was 15th, but they got a seven point penalty, or is that just like whatever? I mean, yeah, we would generally know that if okay. if, if it was enough to change a placement, we would probably know. Gotcha. Um, not like, oh, make sure that you put them in the right place they should have been. <laughs> but but yeah. you know, like, rec- I mean, yes, we see recaps. Okay, like we don't. Like we, we, we see them, of course, I'm not going to lie and say that we don't look at recaps, but to that end, yes, judges talk after the show, but we never talk about it trying to, it's not like we're trying to influence each other, Yeah, you know, right. um, like me and Scott at Dayton, you know, I remember a couple of times in the van coming back from, uh, open semis, which is like an hour away, right. From Dayton. So we had a long time in the van. Yeah. We'll talk through groups, but it's more like, Oh, you called that that way. What'd you see? And then he'll explain, like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't see it that way. But, like, it doesn't change what I'm doing for that group in the six minutes or seven minutes I'm judging them. It's more of like, oh, wow, okay, Scott saw it that way, I saw it this way, cool. We trust each other enough to have that discussion, but to also not have it affect what we do. Um, because uh, who knows what the group's, how the group's going to play the next day. Yeah, plus then you're not – you're just being, like, a blank slate. You're not trying to – say things that allow you to put a group in a certain spot you're just saying what is natural yeah because if you were trying to like quote unquote like i know people talk about it like slot people or like oh the so-and-so got slaughtered this weekend it's like that would be so incredibly hard as a judge to even keep straight in my brain it's like yeah like to make it like yeah (laughs) no slotting uh, uh, for me i I can't obviously i can't speak for the entire judging world but i i'm i've would like to think I have never slotted somebody. So if I see him three times in a row, it's like, Oh, well they're going to be sixth again. Here we go. Right. You know, um, because it's especially in WGI, cause we only see a group maybe three times at the most. Um, DCI is a little different cause a judge might be tailing a core for four days. Um, but you know, I might see a group in Mar- in February, then I'll see them in April and then I'll see them two, uh, five days later at Dayton. Um, I, I have no choice but to approach it like it's a that show for that day and that night. Yeah, those in indoors groups change their shows so dramatically sometimes anyway. It's it's pretty wild. Right, that too, um, you know. But I think that's I think that's awesome to hear just from the top with Chris and Caleb and Mark just the empowerment that they give you guys sitting behind there with the to put out the numbers and to call the groups as you see it. That's I mean, what what more could you want in a circuit? It, is any circuit going to be perfect? No. That's why they have annual meetings where they talk about, like, does anybody want to hear anything adjusted this year? Mm-hmm. It's constantly just being uh, critiqued itself so that it can evolve with the times because I'm sure that as the shows evolve, it'll just breed evolving in the judging and in the verbiage of the sheets and how everything goes. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's all um... – I don't know. I've, I've never felt pressure to change a number. You know, I've never felt that from anybody or anything, you know, and, and all of us as judges are 
we trust enough in the system to be to to make it okay to like oh i'm gonna make it this way i'm gonna call this this way you know um i i think that i i remember seeing this go around social media like oh omar gave this hundred so here we go um so we know what he's gonna do in five days yeah what so but i i felt the courage to make that number to call that number or any number because I trust in all the other judges judging with me to call it the way they see it. And then for the system to pop out the ranking that comes out, <laughs> you know, I'm, but one little part of that score. So, um, as long as I do my job and all of everyone else does their job, the system does the rest. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. There well, is. I think that's a pretty good way to put a cherry on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> unless you have anything else you want to add, um, uh, um, no, I think, I think I'm good. Um, the only other thing I'd, I'd encourage your listeners to do is to like really dig in on the judges sheets and the factoring to understand that a, on the music side in particular, that, um, the, the performance box is weighted a little higher than the comp box. So if, if, if I've just gotten it in critique a lot, like why does this, I, don't, I can't even think of two numbers right now. Um, 90, why does 90. it, why does a 90, 90 not equal 18? Right. You know, well, because the performance box is, you know, gets it's 15% and the other one's 10%. Like, you know, there's a different factoring involved. And to understand that, that symbolically, that's really important because it's for the kids. So it's the, it's the performers that should get the most credit, you know? I knew, I know someone gave me that quote recently when they were talking about rule proposals at the, percussion advisory board that mark was basically just like well are we tailoring it for the kids or the designers like what right. are we doing mm-hmm. yeah and you know designers are doing great things but in the end like it's the kids delivering so um it's it's always important to understand those kinds of things so that when you come into critique you're armed with all the things you, you want to talk to a judge about you know and we don't mind talking about numbers as judges it's okay <laughs> I've, i I've mean heard, like like it's okay numbers yeah you know like why was this four tenths from this other group like well here's why you know if a judge is worth their salt they can tell you exactly why boom yeah Yeah. there it is well omar uh i think that this was very enlightening on a lot of facets to myself and hopefully to a lot of people that listening um if anybody wants to check out your stuff or anything you've arranged or what you have going on at Furman, how can they find you yeah, so um, you can find out more about Furman at Furman.edu. That's F-U-R-M-A-N. Um, the Percussion Studio has got a Facebook page that we've sort of revamped and we're releasing a bunch of like hyper-produced, really nice videos um, in there. I'm playing a bit in some of them. My students are playing a bit, a lot, actually, <laughs> more than me um, in them. Um, I've got a YouTube channel. Um, if you want to check out some of my past stuff, I keep a playlist of like my compositions and arrangements. Um if you want to, that's more for me, just so I have a record. But if you're, if you're, if for some reason you're interested in what I do, uh, you can you can check out, uh, check that out. Uh, and yeah, you know, any high school students, you know, if you're interested in a really academically rigorous but awesome and fun percussion studio to to play in, uh, Greenville, South Carolina has 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 that. <laughs> so feel free to give me a buzz. And it's a beautiful area near Asheville and all that too. So. Oh, it's it's beautiful. The Furman campus is gorgeous. Um, and you know, it's, it's a great place to be. It's a, it's a small liberal arts school. So 2,700 students, um, if you're looking for that small school experience, but with like a really kind of really active percussion studio, we're doing a lot. All right. Yeah. Let's bring this one home then everybody aged out or not aged out, man. I'm got, let's not screw this up. LoneStarPercussion.com discount code aged out. Save yourself some money. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, podcast services, That's all I got. Omar, this has been great. Everybody else, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.